0: Good evening, folks, and welcome to Next on the T. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro. And what a PGA Championship we all just witnessed. We got treated to the return of one of the great major champions of our time, Brooks Koepka, made good on his promise to not let what happened to him at the Masters happen again at the PGA. He didn't play prevent defense this time around. He went out and attacked the golf course in the final round, came within two inches, of shooting three straight rounds of 66. And it was as he shot 72-66, 66-67 to win by two over Victor Hovland and Scotty Scheffler. Major kudos to him, pun intended. He is now tied with Seve Ballesteros, James Baird, and Byron Nelson, plus J.H. Taylor and Peter Thompson with five majors to their credit. That's tied for 15th all-time. One more, and he's going to tie Lee Trevino, Nick Faldo, and Phil Mickelson with six majors. We also got introduced to Michael Block. How great was that guy? The low PGA professional of the tournament. What a great story he is. A club pro from California who took the PGA Championship by storm. He ended up finishing tied for 15th. His final round included being paired with Rory McIlroy, and his reaction when he heard on Saturday that he was going to be playing with Rory on Sunday was priceless. His final round also included a slam-duck hole-in-one on the par-3 15th hole, plus an up-and-down for par on 18 that made the crowd go into a frenzy. The whole thing was just priceless to get to witness. He was clearly the fan favorite, and the way he handled it all was fantastic. He won the hearts of a lot of fans last week that's going to continue for many years to come. So I loved watching all of those things unfold this past week. All right, on to tonight's show. I've got a great threesome in store for you. First up is going to be Dr. Bob Jones, the fourth grandson of Bobby Jones. Following Doc will be Golf Channel host Damon Hack. And then we'll round down tonight's show with a return visit from Rappers Don't Golf host and author Tucker Booth. So we're going to have a lot of fun over the next hour or so. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. I want to start out tonight by reminding you about our friends at the McLemore, which is a private resort located just south of Chattanooga, high atop Lookout Mountain, Georgia. It's a casual two-hour drive from Atlanta, Nashville, and Birmingham. The existing Highlands course is now ranked in the top 100 courses you can play in the United States by Golf Digest. The 18th hole, as a matter of fact, is ranked in the top 10 finishing holes in the world. A second course, the Outpost, is now under construction, which will open summer of 2024. The Outpost is another Bill and reese Jones design and features a mile and a half of dramatic cliff edge, with every inch of that edge filled with a goffle. A world-class hotel, Cloudland Lookout Mountain Curio Collection by Hilton, will open spring of 2024. Both the course and the hotel have incredible views into historic McLemore Cove, 1,200 feet below. You gotta see it to believe it, folks. Stay, dine, and play golf above the clouds at Macklemore. Go online to macklemore.com to book your stay and play package today. Now let's talk grips. I want to tell you about Lampkin grips. Every shot, as you know, has its own unique feel. The trick? Feel comfortable with each one. And comfort is built into the very DNA of Sonar Plus Black Grips. Composed of their Genesis material that provides supreme comfort and durability with their fingerprint technology creates a strong connection and unforgettable touch. The game changes from shot to shot. The feel in your hand shouldn't. Lambkin, Feel is everything. I also want to remind you about the all-new Stealth 2 driver from TaylorMade. If there's one thing we know golfers want from a driver, it's distance. But there's actually two things we all want. Distance, and let's not forget, forgiveness. That's why TaylorMade designed the Stealth 2 driver with even more carbon for even more forgiveness. To learn more about the new Stealth 2 driver from TaylorMade, visit them online at TaylorMadeGolf.com. Okay, now back in making his ninth appearance with me is Dr. Bob Jones fourth. Doc is the grandson of Bobby Jones, as you'll recall. He was born and raised in Pittsfield, Massachusetts, which is located in the very western part of the state near the New York state line. He now lives just northeast of me here in Atlanta. Doc has a bachelor's degree in English literature, a master's in divinity, and a doctorate in clinical psychology. He's now working as a sports psychologist. Doc has been a wonderful guest on this show over the last many years. He's a great supporter as well, has come to mean a great deal to me both on this show and in my personal life. And I am very excited he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, Doc, thanks for coming back on the show.
1: Chris, it's a real pleasure to be with you as always. I appreciate that very much. Doc,
0: we're, we're on the heels of the PGA Championship. Wanted to get your thoughts about what you saw over the course of the tournament.
1: Well, I'll tell you what. I thought um, I thought Brooks just played absolutely just super golf. And, you know, the sad part is, is that um, he almost became the secondary story. But uh, nonetheless, uh, I thought Brooks was just super, super solid. And it's great to see him back in the winner's circle again. But, you know, I'll tell you what I think um, a real winner uh, of the tournament was, was Oak Hill. That renovation that they did or the restoration they did, restoring it to the way to a more classic Donald Ross design, absolutely was super. It looked great played tough. It was a true championship
2: test.
0: Doc, I want to get into a lot about what we saw from Brooks, but before we do, you mentioned he almost became a secondary story, and and I don't know if you meant that, a secondary story to Oak Hill, or a secondary story to what we saw from Michael
1: Block. Oh, I think clearly from Michael Block. I mean, I I was watching the tournament. I, I did not get a chance to see as much of the tournament as I would have liked, but i was watching it when block came over that uh that bridge to go down to the first tee and i mean everybody was going crazy i mean he, here he is playing with rory McElroy, and he's the one getting all the um all the ovations and then you know he gets out there and yeah he had a little bit of a tough time on uh on that final round but then he gets to what is it to 15 and and just jars it for an ace I mean, you just couldn't script anything better than this.
0: Yeah, I tell you what, to your point, when that ball went in the, went directly in the hole, and, and he seemed incredulous, like he couldn't believe he didn't see it or wasn't sure, and he asked Rory, and Rory hugs him and tells him yes, and then how we saw him finish up with that up and down on 18 for the par and the way the fans went crazy. I thought that was one of the greatest golf stories I've seen in my life.
1: Oh, I agree. And, you know, the part I I thought was absolutely hysterical is apparently Brooks went up to him afterwards and said, hey, I hear you're buying drinks. Which, (laughs) right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that was awesome.
1: It was a good it was a good event. Doc, for those of us who
0: watched the Netflix documentary Full Swing, we saw a different side of Brooks Kepka than I think that we thought existed. I mean, the injuries that resulted in poor play over the last couple of years seemed to have him losing confidence in himself and thinking that he would ever be able to win a golf tournament again. And not only did he do that on the live tour, but then he comes close at the masters. And then obviously this past weekend, but I wanted to get your thoughts on not just Brooks's kind of turnaround of his career, or comeback, whatever you want to call it, but really the power of what self-confidence can do to our success.
1: Well, I think, um, I think that the amount that, that belief in yourself can accomplish is um, I mean, it's just, you, you just can't put, you, you just can't put a value on it. Uh, I'll give you an example of what I mean. I was working with a player uh, about a year and a half ago who was playing in uh, one of the developmental tours and, and we were talking and he said, um, and he said to me, he said, you know, I just get so frustrated with myself. And and temper was a big issue for him. <clears throat> and I said to him, I said, well, let me ask you a question. And I said, who's the number one player in the world? And at the time, it was Scotty Scheffler. And that's what he told me. I said, now, let me ask you, what shot does Scotty Scheffler have that you don't? And he paused for a moment and he said, well, none, really. I said, then what's the difference between you and Scotty Scheffler? Why are you on a developmental tour and Scotty Scheffler is the number one player in the world? What's the difference? And he said, self-confidence and his belief in himself. I said, that's right. That's right. And you see, that's the difference it can make. You know, when you have an injury, bear in mind, when you have an injury especially when you're a professional athlete, you know what that means Chris is that means that your very body which is the thing by which you make your living has been damaged. And that's a tremendous blow not only to your um uh not only to your sense of physical integrity but to your sense of your very self. And that's a that's a tremendously difficult thing for athletes um athletes to have to deal with. And, and, you know, this is the thing that that amazes me. When I first started doing sports psychology over, gosh, 20 years ago now, I always thought that the thing that I would be spending the most time working with athletes on is self-confidence and uh, mental process and developing routines, all of that stuff. If you had told me 20 years ago that a large percentage of my my sports practice would consist with injury recovery i would have been absolutely shocked but but that's but that's exactly how it's turned out and you know see that's the thing for an athlete nowadays because of the demands that are placed on them by their sport by what they have to do for training the question is not if they're going to get injured at some point in their career the question is going to be When are they going to get injured in their career and how will they then develop the tools to deal with that and to restore their belief in themselves?
0: Doc, I'm sort of reminded of the the group America song Tin Man when he talked about Oz never gave him, you know, nothing to the Tin Man that he didn't already have. (laughs) Self-confidence, it's something that's in us. How do we unlock it so it can come out?
1: Boy, that's a that's a bit of a tough one. I mean, well, w- one quick solution is you could hire me, but uh, <laughs> but there you go. Leaving that leaving that aside for the moment, I think the best thing that people can do to help with that is you know uh, to do things like put a put a carpet out on your a putting carpet out on your floor and practice three, four, five, and six foot putts until you get to the point where you're just making those things like you can't believe. And go outside in the yard with a seven iron and just take some nice slow practice swings, making sure your rhythm's good. In other words, do some of the things that help you physically um, have some sense of mastery over the game of golf. But then beyond that, the ability to sit and to do meditation and to learn how to visualize yourself playing golf. Um, those those are some things that are absolutely unbeatable for the average guy or lady to develop a, a sense of confidence in themselves uh, when they're on the course. And Doc, one of
0: the things that I think we've seen from Brooks over the last couple of months is it seems like the switch has been flipped with this self-confidence because you know, he, he like I say, said earlier, he won on the Live Tour the the week before the Masters. And he goes to Augusta, nearly wins there, and now obviously wins the PGA. He very, very quickly became Brooks again after not seeming to have the thought that he could win again. And I, we, we know about the bad knee injury that he suffered. But mm-hmm. sometimes all we need, it, it feels like, is a spark to turn things completely around. And it seems like not only did he get healthy, but he got that spark. Talk about our self-confidence and and maybe just all we need is that one little thing to happen and go our way. And then all of a sudden, everything
1: completely flips. Well, that's exactly correct. And I mean, and and actually, there's not much to really talk about because you actually just said it really, really well. All of a sudden, sometimes all we need is that little spark. Sometimes when you're out on the golf course and things aren't necessarily going all that well, uh, all of a sudden you hit this putt. And you think, ah, geez, I didn't make that thing. And then all of a sudden it takes that curl and goes in the hole and bang, there's that spark. Um, Or for the professional athlete, as you said, you know, he has an experience at the Masters and that probably proved to him that, yes, he could really do that again. And, And there's the spark. And it's that way really for all of us. I mean, and it's not just, it's not just, um, in terms of sports or a, us as athletes, but that's in our lives as well. That sometimes, you know, we're going through a really hard time, a really difficult period, and then a little spark comes along, and all of a sudden you're chugging down the road again. Um, so you you never really know. It, it's it's one of those things. It's hard to say how to get it, but uh something you and I have talked about before, what we can say is we can say, what can keep you from getting it. And that is anxiety and temper. Those two things can uh, basically act as like um, uh, fire hoses on any spark that can develop. So the more you can stay calm, the more you can stay in the present moment, the more you can stay aware, then the more open you are to that spark when it occurs. And it will occur.
0: Doc, switching gears just a little bit. Yep. Phil has showed us twice recently that being over 50 doesn't mean you can't compete with the young guys out on tour. I, I know some I mean. of that is due to what great shape he and the guys on the Champions Tour are in now versus maybe what, what they were in several years ago. But how much of that do you attribute to attitude, to a change in mindset that being 50 plus no longer means you're over
1: the hill? I attribute quite a bit to it, Chris. I really do. And 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 the reason why I do is you know what's the old joke now that um, uh, 70 is the new 50 and you know six, 80 is the new 60 and things like that. Who knows? I think when you look at people like Phil, like Brooks, uh, and like a lot of these guys on Champions Tour, uh, boy, oh boy, I'm beginning to think that um, 50 might just be the new 30. You you said it right. They're in good condition. They still hit the ball really, really well. Their mindsets uh, are still solid. Um, And they just go out and they just play like they've played all their careers. And in some cases, even better.
0: Not getting off the golf course a little bit. It, It seems like our world has become a much meaner place over the last several years. Social media can be a very negative space. We hear about mass shootings almost daily now. Do we have a dramatic rise from what you've seen in mental health issues in our country, or do you think it's something bigger than that?
1: Um, well, that's a tough question. But I'll tell you, I'll, I'll give you my, since you asked, I'll give you my opinion. I think it's a mental, I think there, we do have more mental health issues to a large extent. That is a result of what we've seen in the pandemic. Um, where people have been kept in so such extreme isolation for long periods of time, but I think the issues are more complicated than that. Um, I think um, I'll be very candid. I think that a lot of the problems that we're having now is the result uh, of us being in a culture and in a society that has spiritually lost its way. Uh, we have uh become a culture that um that has embraced um that has embraced a secularism that is just grounded in nothing and things that are grounded in nothing tend to have people um feeling quite hopeless and without purpose in their lives and anytime you have that kind of hopelessness that kind of lack of uh lack of purpose than depression and anxiety and and even anger, because all of those emotions have to come out somewhere. And oftentimes they come out directed against against others, Um, sometimes others that are totally innocent to the circumstance. So I guess what I would say in summary to that, Chris, is I think that what we're dealing with in our culture, in our society, Really, in some ways, it's it, it is a head problem, but it is also very much, if not more so, a heart problem.
0: How do we get it back, Doc? It just to your point, it does seem on some level like we are wandering around aimlessly. And in our country, I mean, I, I don't I don't want to get into you know politics and things of that nature, but it it just <laughs> feels like that we don't have a sense of direction. We can't get our arms around this thing. We we keep thinking that uh, someone is going to do something from a law perspective, and that never seems to material, materialize. How do we get it back?
1: You know, Chris. Of course, as you know, I'm a Christian. Yes, and I believe very, very. I, I believe um, in all my heart. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior, and I believe that the Prince of Peace is the only one that offers peace. And I know that sounds really harsh and that there are going to be a lot of people say, oh, what do you mean? What do you mean? I mean exactly what I've said. And the reason I know that is because I know the peace that has come into my heart and how my life has changed and the kind of person that I used to be before I met Jesus and the person that I am now. Now, people may say, well, you know, that's not for me. And, and that's fine. That's fine. And I would never impose that on anybody. But what I would say is this, the Lord has made a huge difference in my life, and I've never known a person who has been touched by him that who he has not made a big deal and made a made a major change in their life as well. So um, to me, that is the only solution that I have found that ever worked to deal with all the um, nasty stuff that lurks in my heart. He's the only one that can change it and make it new. Thank you for that very much.
0: For those of us, Doc, who struggle with getting nervous if we're going to play in a tournament, maybe it's just our own member member. Maybe it's our own club championship. Maybe it's our first tournament as, as a junior player. What are some of the things that you talk with your clients about regarding being nervous or dealing with anxiety going into a tournament?
1: Well, first of all, I think nervous is very, very normal, and that's the first thing I always tell them. Nervous is extremely normal, and I would be shocked if anybody would be uh, doing any of those events and not feeling a certain amount of jitters and nerves on the first tee. I always like to tell people a little story about my grandfather. He had been, he had just been eliminated from the the United States amateur in 1929 in the first round. And he was invited by Dr. McKenzie to play at Cypress Point. And when he got out there, he, was, he found out there were 500 people waiting on the first tee that were uh, looking to see him play. This was supposed to be just a private little event. Well, Bub was playing against a young, well, not against, but with a young man named Lewis Lapham. And uh, Lewis was a really fine player. But finally, uh, after about three or four holes, He turned to my grandfather and he said, Bob, how do you play in front of all these people and not be nervous? And Bob looked back at him and said, well, Lewis, I will tell you, playing in front of all these people makes me nervous, terribly nervous all the time. But the trick is to not let them know it. Wow. And I think there's there's a lot to that. Here's one of the greatest golfers in the history of the game. Saying very straightforwardly, nerves are just part of it. This is just part of what you have to deal with. So I always tell people take a nice deep breath, feel the nerves, understand that the nerves are there because you're right where you want to be. And then go ahead, take that nice deep breath, and let her rip. Stuart Maiden used to say to my grandfather, Rob, hit the hell out of it. It'll come down somewhere. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's great advice
1: it is isn't it
0: Doug? speaking of nerves for your grandfather did your grandfather ever talk to you about what it was like for him in midst of winning all of those tournaments in the 20s and certainly the grand slam year of 1930 we, we've heard stories of the pressure he was under when people were almost literally betting the farm on him winning do you ever talk about what it was like for him to try to deal with that
1: no, he never did. um he would not discuss um he would not discuss golf per se with me, not so much, I think because he didn't want to necessarily talk about it, but at the time, Bub was dealing with his illness, and so he focused very strongly in the present, in other words, he approached his illness the same way that he would approach golf. However, he did write volumes, oh, not volumes, but he wrote, oh gosh, at least fifty pages on what playing in these tournaments was like for him. He said, you know, when he was a young boy of, you know, 14, 15 years old, he'd go play 36 holes in a tournament and you know, when they had the lunch break in the middle of the day, he'd sit down and he'd eat a big sandwich and a big bowl of ice cream or two. But he said, you know, as the nerves started to wear on him by the time he hit his mid 20s, um uh, by the time he hit his mid twenties, all he could have is a piece of dry toast and a cup of tea because his stomach couldn't tolerate anything else. And then, by the time he got to the Grand Slam, uh, but in 1930, he actually said that the experience of tournament golf is like r- trying to run away from something, but you just don't know what.
0: Had to be brutal for him to try
1: to do that. This- That's why he quit at 28.
0: Yeah, Doc. Just a couple more before I let you go, and and you're sure. involved with some great charities and foundations here in or yeah. and around Atlanta. Talk about the things you're doing there.
1: Yes, let me tell you. We are uh, as a family. We are getting ready to launch uh, a centennial celebration, which is going to start uh, is going to start actually this summer with the um, with the hundredth anniversary of Bub's first U.S. Open win. That'll be at Inwood Country Club. And we're going to be doing a commercial venture that is a centennial celebration of all of Bub's wins leading up to the celebration of the Grand Slam in 2030. That'll be the 100th anniversary of the Grand Slam. And uh, this, will be, uh, this will be a commercial venture. We're going to sell uh, sponsorships and licenses to different corporations that we feel embody the values uh, of our grandfather. And it is our plan to give uh, 20% of what we net to the Bobby Jones, Chiari, and Syringomyelia Foundation. And we're hoping that this will be a a rather sizable sum for them because we really want to help them uh, find a cure for this uh, this disease that claimed the life of our grandfather, but also uh, afflicts uh, 3 million people at any one time in the United States. Most people don't know that that many folks suffer from Chiari and syringomyelia, but they do, and we're going to make a difference in that. That's awesome. Yes, sir.
0: Doc, one more, and um, the Mclemore is one of my partners here on the show. And um, for me, I I feel sort of a spiritual thing, particularly when I get to the 18th hole, which is one of the greatest holes in in all of golf. But Mm -hmm. I, I know you've played the golf course and wanted to get your thoughts and. What you've uh, what you thought when you've been out there at Macklemore?
1: Well, I'll tell you what. You're right. That 18th hole is absolutely breathtaking, especially if you're like me and you tend to move the ball right to left. Because you you know what you don't realize when you stand on that tee is you've got all the room in the world on the right, but you don't have much on that left side because that's the side of Lookout Mountain, and it is absolutely a breathtaking golf course. I have always said that. If there is one complaint that I have with McLemore uh it is the eighteenth hole is so dramatic that it almost makes you forget that you have just played seventeen unbelievable golf holes i mean it is um it is it's a beautiful location it's a great golf course uh when I was there they they had not done all the building that they've done now but uh, I look forward at some point to getting back up there and playing it again. It's a it's it's a wonderful experience.
0: Yes, it is. Doc, before I let you go, remind our listeners, how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, whether it's following you online or it's on social media?
1: Well, they can always find me. Um, they can always find me on my webpage, which is drroberttjones.com, drroberttjones.com. Or on Facebook, I do have a professional Facebook page, which is Robert T. Jones the Fourth, and then it's M-D-I-V-P-S-Y-D, Master of Divinity, Doctor of Psychology.
0: Doc, it's always a privilege to get to spend some time with you. I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show. I hope I get the privilege of running into you later this year at the Tour Championship or before, because it's well, always let's... a treat to be together.
1: Let's make it happen. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed our getting together last time and uh, I'll look forward to seeing you out there again. And we need to make number 10 happen too. Ah, Absolutely. Absolutely. Doc, take care. All the best to you and your lovely wife. I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Thanks, Chris. Take care of yourself. You
0: too. Thanks, Doc. All right. That is the great Dr. Robert Jones IV, one of my favorite people on this planet. Every time I've had the privilege of spending time with Doc, it, it is something you can feel the spirituality in the air around him. He has a very calming and soothing way of being, and that kind of emanates from him and, and, and embraces you when you're together. He's a very wonderful, loving man, and uh, I've had the privilege of being around him a couple of times, and it, it's just it's spectacular. And one of the great interviews that I've seen, and I've gone back and rewatched it several times. Scott Layman is a is a friend of this show. He and Doc did an interview where they were out walking the golf course together, and uh, and just talking about a, a lot of different things. And it's out there available on YouTube. I highly encourage you to go out there and search and watch it, because it is going to touch your heart and touch your life. It made a difference in mine, and that's why I say I, I go back and rewatch it from time to time. Um, but both of those gentlemen are just outstanding human beings, and uh, like I say, I hope I get the privilege of getting to spend some time with Doc again out at East Lake and at the Tour Championship. We spent some time last year i'm looking forward to doing it again this year, and obviously, like he says, he's been on the show nine times. Hopefully uh, we get the privilege of making it ten a little bit later on this year. Coming up next year on next on the T is my guest, Damon Hack. Before I get to Damon, I want to remind you about two under. Men's performance wear. They're the unofficial underwear of the PGA and the 2020 Ryder Cup team. Ricky Fowler is their global ambassador, and over 50 other PGA, Corn Ferry, and Champions Tour players wear them. Just to mention a few, like David Toms, Jerry Kelly, Justin Thomas, William McGirt, Scott McCarron, and Chris DiMarco. The Joey Pouch technology provides the ultimate male asset management, delivering maximum comfort from the tee box, to the boardroom, to the bedroom. Use code NEXT20 to save 20% off your order at twounder.com. That's the number two, U-N-D-R dot com. Two Under, performance in your pants. And you walk a lot of miles in life and on the course, so make sure you're walking in the right shoes. Sconee changes the game with an affordable line of the most comfortable, versatile, slip-on golf shoes that can be worn anywhere. They're made with breathable microfiber fabric, spikeless treads, and an adjustable lace lock. And they're easy to clean, too. So spend less time changing shoes and more time living in them. Visit scony.com and use code NXTONT20. So next on T20 at checkout for 20% off. That's scony.com, S-K-O-N-I.com. They're also available at golf specialty retailers and Greengrass Pro Shops nationwide.
3: Relax. Easy now. Find your happy place. It's all in the hips. Just tap it in.
2: Yes!
0: Find the latest clubs and apparel at Golf's Happy Place, the PGA Tour Superstore. All right, now back in making his fifth appearance with me here on Next on the Tee is Golf Channel host Damon Hack. Let me remind you about Damon's background. He's from L.A., graduated from UCLA with his undergraduate degree and UC Berkeley with his master's degree in journalism. He started out covering the San Francisco 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. In 2000, he moved over to Newsday covering the New York Knicks in golf. A couple of years later, he joined the New York Times covering golf and the NFL. In 2007, he joined Sports Illustrated covering golf and the NFL for them. And then in 2012, he is over at the Golf Channel. He's been there ever since and is by far one of the best hosts and interviewers in the business. And I'm very honored he is back in Next on the Tee with me. Hey, Damon, thanks for coming back on the show.
3: Just
2: leaving. How are
0: you, buddy? I'm fantastic. How are you? Doing just, uh, just fantastic. Yeah, good for you. That's good news. Damon, 11 years now at the Golf Channel. I want to get your thoughts when you look back over your time there. How have things changed with either the game or covering it during that time
2: frame? Chris, it's the longest job I've ever had, uh, which is pretty cool to think. I had five years at the New York Times and five at SI, and I've been at Golf Channel longer than both those uh, wonderful establishments combined. And it's been remarkable to see the evolution of the game and the coverage of the game. I think we've kind of moved to to the point from the early 2000s when I first started covering golf it was clearly the Tiger Woods tour there were the Tiger Woods events and then there were the non-Tiger Woods events and and, and now we're in this era of post-Tiger Woods babies uh, the Speece and the JTs and the John Roms and the Scotty Schefflers guys that are kind of grew up in his image and obviously there's a lot of strife and fracturing at the highest level of the game as well which has been surprisingly or maybe not surprisingly a huge topic of conversation to the point where it's right on par or around the same level with the the tournaments themselves but it's been a an exciting and interesting year and a half uh it's been an exciting 11 years i still go to work every day with a smile um my my role at the channel has evolved to include interviews on NBC, Players Championship, Bay Hill. I've got the U.S. Open in my native Los Angeles coming up, which will be a life full circle moment for me. Someone who didn't grow up playing golf will be interviewing players at L.A. North, which I didn't even know existed when I was a kid. So very much looking forward to June and our national championship.
0: Damon, you mentioned the split, obviously, between the the Live Tour and the PGA Tour. I want to get your thoughts as you look out into the future. Where does this thing end up? How does this thing get resolved? Do they come back together? Does the Brooks win help get people back at the table to talk? I don't know. What are your thoughts? Where does this thing go from here?
2: Yeah, I don't like the litigation that I'm seeing. I think that the players themselves, how they've comported themselves, for example, at the Masters Tournament, we saw players from the PJ Tour and live coexisting. Uh, we've heard some harsh language from time to time, but I think when – when Thursday comes, especially in these major championships, you're seeing the players um, leave it inside the ropes and compete at the highest level. Um, I, I've been very vocal about some of my issues with the Live Golf franchise. My biggest issue is just with the fracturing of the sport, and I think that, that you would be foolish if you were a PJ Tour fan to say that the PJ Tour hasn't been hurt by the loss of some pretty notable characters in Bryson DeChambeau and and Brooks Kepka and Sergio Garcia. Um, I think a lot of us maybe were thinking that the live golf players would be hurt by 54-hole events on golf courses that maybe aren't as recognizable as those that we see weekly on the PGA Tour. But if the first couple of major championships have shown us anything, it is that uh, the quality of Phil Mickelson and, and Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau has remained and I imagine that might be a theme to continue on Golf Today, our program on Golf Channel. I wondered if, there, if this would be like a Roger Bannister moment, where Brooks Kepka's win enables other live golfers to feel like they can get the job done when they have the moment in a major championship as well. But but to answer your original question, I do hope that at some point cooler heads prevail, and that uh, if not a merging, I don't ever see that happening between these two entities. I'd like the litigation at some point to end and the focus to go back inside the road where most of us want it to be.
0: If you look out two, three, five years down the road, do you think Live has longevity? Do you think this thing still exists that far out into the future? Or do you think the Live Tour and the PGA Tour, they come back together, they have conversations, this all comes to a head, and we get resolution and get back together? What are your thoughts? Where do you see it down the road?
2: I just wonder what the business model is that Liv is operating under. They have a lot of money, you know, bankrolled by this public investment fund, fund from the uh, Saudi Arabian government. They're making a billion dollars a day uh, from oil. They're, they're, they're flush with cash. But this, from a financial standpoint, it doesn't seem like a profitable organization at this point. The, the numbers of, in terms of viewership, very, very down at the same time, they had a very nice um, gate at the Tulsa event, Uh, great buzz, a lot of fans. Um, And it does seem like in some ways the tour is becoming more palatable, if not more viewed by the general sports fan. I think as long as the folks at the PIF and the Saudi Arabian government and Mohammed bin Salman are interested in the sport of golf, despite maybe not making money off of it in the short term, I could see them continuing to bake roll it, and especially coming off of Brooks this win at the PGA Championship, quietly, probably thinking that it does, in some ways, legitimize lift Golf as an enterprise.
0: Let's switch gears and go back, and let's talk about the PGA Championship. So many great storylines unfolded over the four days of the tournament. What are some of your favorite moments that you got to witness last week?
2: Well, Michael Block, and and not going to be an original idea, but the fact that I'm from Southern California, uh, he's from Southern California and has been at the same golf club, Royal Tribuco, for decades now, age 46. This is a kind of like a public-private kind of daily fee. They do have a membership there, but you can pull up and play uh, if you'd like to. And to see this guy who doesn't hit the ball very far, but quietly, you know, the likes of Paul Goitos and other pros from Southern California will tell you that Michael Block can can more than hold his own against PGA Tour level players and occasionally beat them. To see him lead with his heart and play with his heart, he popped those AirPods in, did a couple of interviews with ESPN and CBS, and it felt like he was going to have a good week and went out there and did just that, playing alongside Justin Rose on Saturday and Rory McIlroy on Sunday, and for him to make an ace on the fifteenth hole, you, you can't make that up. And, and his love of golf, and to hear him describe it, saying he loves the game of golf more than anybody on that entire property at Oak Hill, it, it gives you goosebumps when you see him then go out and hole a shot from the fifteenth tee. And he's asking a four-time major champ, "Hey Rory, did that ball go in?" I mean, that's magical stuff. And the up and down at eighteen to secure that t fifteen finish to get him into Valhalla in 2024 those are the moments to me that as a golf journalist have always brought me back you know it's tiger chipping in in 2005 at the masters it's it's phil you know through the trees in 2010 or or making the putt no four uh that he said that his late grandfather might have uh from the heavens you know knocked that putt in on the 72nd hole it's the duel in the sun in 77 with nicholas and watson and I didn't see it, but I read about it. Great writers like Frank DeFord chronicled it, and I was able to to feel like I was there. The stories of, of 86 in and Jack and 97 in Tiger, which I watched with my father, uh, those magical moments to me are, are what brought me and so many others to the game. And I just think that Michael Block, in, in some small way, embodied the the magic and the mystery and the love of this game. and Brooks Koepka walked away with the Wanamaker trophy, but I still think that that Michael Block was the story of the second major championship of the year. Do
0: you think, since Brooks did walk away with the Wanamaker, is he the odds-on favorite to win the U.S. Open now?
2: I tell you what, the resume would say yes. Uh, he's already got two U.S. Opens. If LA North is running firm and fast like, like Shinnecock Hills was in 2018, you know why not the man has proven that he is an absolute major championship warrior a nine-time pj tour winner with with five major championships i mean that that percentage that ratio is just not something we've seen very often you know andy north three pj tour wins two us opens but to see brooks kepka get his swagger back after the depths of injury and dyed blonde hair, midlife crisis, confidence in absolute retreat to put his body back together and his belief system back together uh, reminds us all just how dominant he was between 2017 and 2019 and how dominant he may be once again. Um, Switching
0: gears just a little bit. Randall Chamblee and and Brad Faxon had an interesting debate about Brooks and the, and the live guys playing in the Ryder cup and the Ryder cup isn't a PGA tour event. It's another PGA of America event. And, and Brad's point was that, you know, Brooks would be playing for his country. And none of those guys out there are playing for their tour. They're playing for their country or their region. Do you think Zach Johnson is going to be allowed to consider a Brooks, a Bryson, a DJ, maybe a Patrick Reed for the U S Ryder cup team?
2: last week say listen i want the 12 best players on that team it's been what 1993 the last time the americans won on the road in a Ryder cup in europe and i know that that's a storyline that is wearying to the players who will make up the crux of that team i think if brooks kepka who's currently second in the standings for the united states Ryder cup team qualifies on one of those six automatic spots that he will be granted that spot. And if he's number seven or eight or 11 or even 14, if Scotty Scheffler and Justin Thomas want Brooks Kepka and Dustin Johnson on that team, you better believe that they will have uh, lots of leg room on a nice, comfortable seat on that flight to Rome. <laughs> I do think because it's a PGA of America event that it's, it's a different question than, what tour you play for. Uh, It's going to be about trying to find a way for the American squad to get off the schneid in what has been a long and fruitless uh, journey so far to end what has been a streak of dominance, European dominance when the biennial event is played uh, in the old country, in the old world. Damon,
0: as we look ahead to next week's tournament at the Memorial, I'm a huge Jack Nicklaus fan. I know you've been there and covered that event. What's it been like for you to to cover that tournament and then getting to spend some time with Jack and Barbara around Muirfield village?
2: So cool. The Buckeye milkshake is one to half if you've (laughs) ever been the Memorial tournament, but you're right. Jack Nicholas holding court on a Tuesday or Wednesday of that week. And there's an auditorium there. It's really neat. Uh, It's it's like a media center, but it's got like the stadium seating and the 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 old school Jeff Babinos and Doug Fergusons and back of the day Clifton Brown and Larry Dorman, you know, the the the, the late great Tim Rosafort we we'd all be sitting in there and listening to, to Jack hold court. You know, he'd do it for the cameras and then the the newspaper guys would kind of stick around and and Jack would just hold court and talk about anything from the furrowed bunkers at, at uh, Muirfield Village to to Tiger Woods in the state of his game to to whatever topic under the sun, my great friend, the late great Dave Anderson, Pulitzer Prize winning columnist for the, for the New York Times, who was a colleague, said in his opinion the two greatest quotes in sports history were Jack Nicklaus and Muhammad Ali. I never got to speak to Muhammad Ali, but I have gotten to speak to Jack Nicholas and his comfort and honesty with the media is one of the great gifts to those who cover this game.
0: Damon, you mentioned Tiger and we've seen him struggle his way through a few rounds over the last 12 plus months. And he's now recovering obviously from yet another surgery. He's talked about playing the majors and playing the father son, which might be his fifth major. Do you think he'll continue to push himself to get his body back and right? And, in position to play at Augusta national next year, or or might it be time for him to let his body relax and maybe look ahead to playing on the champions tour in a little over two years where he'll be able to ride and take a card and not have to push that foot in that leg to walk those
2: courses. Where do you, where yeah. do you see him going? I, I think he's still going to try to find a way, you know, this ankle surgery supposed to alleviate pain but also limits mobility to a certain extent. But I got to spend some time with Tiger at his junior invitational at the Hay at at the Monterey Peninsula, Pebble Beach in the fall before the the plantar fasciitis had had really set in. His golf swing, his attitude, his stories that he told the kids there about just how much he loves to work. Um, Talking about conversations with the late Kobe Bryant who told him, what are you willing to give up? What are you willing to sacrifice to be great? I, I just think Tiger is one of those rare Michael Jordan, Tom Brady, Kobe Bryant, Wayne Gretzky athletes who will be tireless and find a way to 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 kind of silence the doubters. And maybe he won't. Maybe 2019 in the Masters, that will be his Jack Nicholas 1986 moment. But I just having been around him, I just don't see him going quietly. You know, into that night. he He's just wired in, in a certain way, doesn't sleep all that well, uh, doesn't need the eight and nine hours of uh, a night that most mortals do. And I think that he wouldn't have put his body through what he has, wouldn't have gone under the knife once again without thinking that maybe there's just one glimmer of hope, still wants to play golf with his son, Charlie, every December in Orlando. And, and my goodness, uh, if we've seen anything through the years, the Jacks, the Phils, the Bernard Langers, the Fred Couples, the Tom Watsons, the Ray Floyds. Tiger Woods believes that Augusta National is still a place, if it's not rainy and 27 holes in the same day, that he can use his savvy, his history, his guile, and his gifts to find a way to compete in the first major championship every spring.
0: Even i got to get an update on the state of your golf game. Our resident director of instruction here on this show is our mutual good friend, Tom Patrick, who we both love. How are you playing? How's how's it going out there for you?
2: Actually, the spring has started off pretty well. I got to play Rye Golf Club, De- Dever- em- um, Deverell Emmett Design to start my golf season. was recently invited to go back to Pebble in the fall for the Peer Insurance, which is a bunch of wonderful first tee kids. And. Finished tied for second at the end of last year. So I'm starting the year with great optimism. Tom Patrick continues to lean on me to work on my short game, which has been a bit of a blind spot for me. But uh, I actually pitched the ball okay to start 2023. So, Chris, you know me. I'm an optimist. Glass is always half full. Uh, I'm very excited that even at the age of 51, I still think my best golf uh, is ahead of me and not behind me. There you go. One more before I let you go, I got to get an
0: update as well. How how the boys doing? I always love to see the pictures you post on Instagram.
2: Chris, we're doing great. The boys are fantastic. We took my wife to a nice Mother's Day brunch and the boys are playing more tennis than than golf or basketball. Um they're competing in USTA junior events our years in Orlando at that Lake Nona USTA center really kind of imbued them with a love of tennis. We watch as much Carlos Alcaraz and Novak Djokovic as we do John Rahm and Scotty Scheffler and, and LeBron James. So we've got a, a busy house, but the boys continue to keep me young and, and make me smile. I feel very blessed to, to be a, a dad of an 11-year-old triplet boys. They're, it's never a dull moment, that's for sure, as you can imagine, Chris.
0: No doubt, but good <laughs> for you. Damon, before I let you go, how can our listeners continue to follow you and stay up to date with all the great things you're doing by following you on social media?
2: Oh, very kind, Chris. At DamonHackGC on Twitter and Instagram and at Goats and, Grapes and uh, GoatsAndGrapes.net, where I've recently launched a new website that kind of talks about the intersection of wine and, and athletes. And I'm a big wine collector don't nearly drink as much as I used to because I don't recover as well as I used to, as I've reached my fifties. And uh, I'm, you know, I'm having to have one glass of of wine because the recovery is not so great the next day, but I still like a nice Cabernet Sauvignon or Bordeaux or Barolo or Pinot Noir or Brunello uh, if the spirit moves. me.
0: David, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come back and be a part of the show. It's always a huge thrill and a privilege to get to spend some time with you. I hope we get that privilege again and maybe a little bit later on this year.
2: Chris, it's always a pleasure. Uh, Best of luck to your stillers. (laughs) I appreciate you very much. Thanks, Pat. Take
0: care, David. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. And you. Thanks, David. That is the great Damon Hack, folks. It doesn't get better than that guy. You won't find a better person anywhere on the planet than Damon. We all know what a wonderful host he is on the Golf Channel. He's a fantastic father. And like you heard at the end there, a fine player in his own right. How how he couldn't be with Tom Patrick as his coach would be a mystery. But uh, his game is coming along, and uh, like I say, it's a huge thrill to get to spend some time with him. He's very very busy, very generous with his time, and just a wonderful human being. Again, be sure to follow him on Twitter and Instagram at Damon Hack GC. Goats and Greats. Check out uh, his his wine uh, website. That's fantastic as well. And like I said. I hope we get the privilege of catching up with Damon maybe a little bit later on this summer. Okay, before I get to my next guest, Tucker Booth, I was talking with Eddie Dry, VP of Domestic Sales for Strixon Cleveland Golf at the PGA Merchandise Show earlier this year, and I said, Eddie, I like your CBX full-face wedges. How can they help an average player like me play better? Here's what he had to say.
3: An average player, I use one, and... I'm in some lies that you can't even believe, and I need all the help I can get. And the face is bigger, and the grooves go all the way up and all the way out to the toe. So if I, you hit it on the toe, you miss it, bam, there's a groove. So I like that. So I carry a 58.
0: There you have it, folks. Try the new CBX full-face wedges from Cleveland Golf. I want to tell you about something else I saw at the PGA Merchandise Show, and that's me and my golf. And how does a 45-day free trial to Arco sound? Well, me and my golf have partnered with Arco's and are offering 14 free sensors and a 45-day free trial to Arco's caddy when you purchase any training aid on shop.meandmygolf.com. This is a limited time offer, so don't miss out. Again, go online to shop.meandmygolf.com. With many years in the business, menswear brand Construct. Has finally launched its green golf collection, sustainably produced using renewable solar energy and recycled fabrics. Hit your best shot in their performance enhancing polos, quarter zips, and bottoms. Made with four way stretch, quick dry, and UV 50 plus protection. From solids to bold, eye catching designs, Construct Green is the perfect piece for making the best memories on the greens. And the best part? You can head to construct.com, and that's C O N X. S-T-R-U-C-T and use code Chris for 20% off the Green Collection today. Now back in next on the tee with me is Tucker Booth. Tucker is a professional entertainer, writer, rapper, host of the podcast Rappers Don't Golf. He's also an author. He worked with Lisa Cornwell on her just-released book titled Troublemaker, a memoir of sexism, retaliation, and the fight they didn't see coming. He's also been a great friend of this show and a wonderful supporter, and I'm excited. He is back with me again tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, Tucker, thanks for coming back on the show.
3: Chris, following Damon Hack on your show is like Bryant Gumble getting followed by Polly Shore. I don't know how the <laughs> heck I got this opportunity, but I'm very grateful to be here, sir.
0: I know it's a tough time for you, my friend. Your Lakers just getting swept by the Denver Nuggets. You all right?
3: You know, I have to say... When it got to 3 nothing, I think we had already kind of grieved. I am grateful to watch LeBron give it all he gave last night. 40 points after 20 years in the league. It is very impressive to me. I would not be surprised if he took some time off. But no, no, we're not destroyed. I think by this point as a Laker fan, we've had so many great years. I know Damon just mentioned Kobe Bryant. I was fortunate enough to get to be at some of those playoffs back in his prime. You know, and, and same with LeBron. I know everybody likes to judge LeBron so harshly, but it's just a real thrill to get to watch him continue to be so good at thirty eight years old. And uh, you know, I, I this was a season that started at two and ten, bro, and we ended up in the Western Conference Finals. So I don't think that's too bad. And I'm gonna look at the glasses half full here and Man. uh go heat.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'm a Celtics fan and I and I'm with you. I think I, down three nothing. I think, yeah. I think it's uh, time to put that to bed, too. How, yeah, how, end
3: of an era, man.
0: Yep. How you feeling about your Rams? And I got to get that in there, too. You're, after the draft and all of that sort of thing, and a, a tough last season following the Super Bowl victory, glass half full, are you excited about this coming season?
3: Absolutely. And, again, you know I've been a Rams fan since back when they were in St. Louis and when they first got there. So we went through some tough years in St. Louis. obviously the miracle Super Bowl with Kurt Warner the kind of the 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 sea change that came with that for a little while and then many many dry years again until they got out here to LA and finally put it all together uh I was super grateful for that Super Bowl season I was not that shocked that they fell off as quick as they did because obviously they went all in to get all those players and then injuries and whatnot but as far as the draft I think they did great I think they did what they never have done uh recently in recent years which is they finally focused on kind of the trenches positions instead of the flashy players. And the joke was every year we needed to build our O-line and they get an undersized wide receiver, uh running back, and another uh, tight end. <laughs> they didn't do that this year. Steve Avila from TCU, great choice. Guard, big guy, play center. They got some O-line guys, they got some D backs. Oh, and uh and you know, even when it came to offense, Stetson Bennett out of uh, Georgia seems like a pretty legitimate backup quarterback candidate coming right in cuz our backups were a little wonky last year. I am feeling pretty good. I would not be that shocked if they got to the playoffs. I, mean, I don't think they're going to win the Super Bowl or anything, but I wouldn't be that shocked if they went 9 and 8 or 10 and 7 or something like that. I I, I believe, man.
0: I I know you do. And yes. I, again, glass half full, so it will be interesting to see how they how they pair this season. How they Betcha. All right. So let's switch gears. And, and Tucker, I am thrilled to see all the accolades coming your way following the release of Lisa's memoir. So talk about, you know, the, it's, it's hit stores now. What are you hearing? What kind of feedback are you getting?
3: Well, yeah, first of all, shout out to Lisa Cornwell. I mean, what an, uh, a brave move, not just to write this story itself, but to take a flyer on me to be her co-author and biographer. Uh, I you know was a relatively unproven writer up until that point. The biggest thing I'd done before that was the biography on Michael J. Whalen from Golf Channel. I built a masterpiece and then I fell apart, which is just an internet publication, but you know, had gotten some gotten some traction. So as far as what we've heard, we've heard great things from all the people that we've submitted it to for their feedback. But more importantly, I'm getting calls and emails from people I don't know. And one of them in particular was the guy saying, I expected this based on the title and you read it, you know, sexism, retaliation and the fight they didn't see coming to be kind of a feminist liberal tone. And I'm not liberal and I'm a conservative and I kind of had expected to think that this book wasn't for me. And he said, after I read it, what I thought was, first of all, what a balanced, reasonable perspective she had not only on her experiences at golf channel and elsewhere, but on uh, kind of the whole situation in general that she's talking about. And he said, secondly, she humanized so many of these folks uh, that I had looked at so poorly that it let me take a second time to really think about my own positions on these people. It helped broaden my perspective and it helped me humanize them. And I'm really grateful that I read it. So, wow, what what a great review to get from somebody who started out by saying that they didn't expect to like it to begin with.
0: Yeah, no, that's fantastic. So, yeah. so from there, let I mean let's let's take everybody back a little bit and and get the, the scene set a little bit better. How how did you and Lisa end up getting hooked up and you end up being a part of this book project?
3: Yeah, back in January first, twenty twenty, she had just gotten out of her contract at golf channel. And on day one of the new year, she shot out a tweet that instantly went viral. I I call it in the book the tweet that went around the world or shot around the world. And the tweet came through my feed and it said, first day I'm not contractually obligated by golf channel. And I'm about to, I'm about to talk a lot about a lot of the toxic stuff that went on there. More to come hashtag more to come. And I have my podcast rappers don't golf, which I know you've been on and others. And I had lots of golf channel folks and people that were her friends and coworkers. And I jumped right in her DMS. And said, Would you like to come on my show and talk about it? And she said, Sure, you know, give me your in- info and I'll-, I'll hit you up. So I'm just thinking we're setting up an interview, Chris. And she calls me and says, Yeah, yeah, we'll do the podcast. But really, why I'm calling you is I want you to write my memoir with me. And I was like, curveball. I did not see this coming. Had no idea. She didn't think about writing a book. And she said, Yeah, I read your Michael Whalen piece. And as I was reading it, I got goosebumps and I said, this is the guy that's going to write it with me. My first question was, this is a book about sexism and women's issues, and you want me to write this book? <laughs> and she said, it's it's your perspective and the way you write and the way, you know, the, the vivid nature that you write with, the creative language you use, the way you can put yourself in your subject skin. That's why I want you to do it. And I want to bring a male perspective to this, because if it's just women... You know, again, we'll we'll be, you know, railroaded as this is just women ganging up on guys. And it it, it was a really amazing process, Chris. We spent hours on the phone recording conversations, really just kind of getting to know each other. And in the process, we started a great friendship and really got to know each other very personally. Lisa says I've heard more about her personal life than most people she knows, including her her own family. So what a Honor to get to hear all the stuff that that she was willing to share with me, but then also to help her process a lot of the tough stuff too, and vice versa. And together, we formed a great friendship, a brother and sisterhood. I'm sure she would call it as well. And uh, and now here we are, on the first day of our book finally being published three years, three and a half years later. But here we are, and it's been a a great journey. And obviously, the shutdown probably helped. Took made it take a little longer than it would otherwise. But still, these three and a half years have been a great experience getting to know each other and kind of helping broaden our perspectives.
0: Tucker, for people who aren't familiar with who Lisa Cornwell is, I and mean, she's a four time Arkansas amateur state champion in golf. She was friends with Tiger Woods and his father when when they were younger. kind of, kind of give us the backstory about who Lisa is
3: yeah, she was born in Arkansas and Her father is actually the first cousin of former president Bill Clinton. So she's quite a bit younger than Bill, but she grew up knowing Bill as the governor of Arkansas. And she became a very great young junior golfer. She was all, all different sports and excelled in lots of sports. But golf became the thing she became most known for. As you said, she won four state amateur championships in her teens and got all the way to number two ranking in the AJGA for girls in the country that obviously put her in the same echelon girls wise as tiger was boys wise and a lot of those ajga events are mixed so she got to know tiger at a very young age and became coming with him and his family and uh she was on a on a path to become an lpga major champion and that's what everybody thought was going to be for her and she had a professional coach david ledbetter and They were there on their way and somewhere in college after being the first woman to ever get a golf scholarship at university of Arkansas, where they did not have a golf program until she came there. She just burned out on it and really lost her love for the game. She kind of describes it as a divorce from the game. Just didn't want to do it anymore. Felt like it just was so crushing to her and she didn't want it. And that kind of went through a wilderness period where, where she had to kind of figure out as a young adult, what she wanted to do with her life. And she jumped around from various jobs, managed restaurants, just kind of spinning her wheels a little bit trying to figure out who she was. But once she did, she realized she wanted to still be in sports, but she wanted to be on the journalism side. So she got into sports journalism, worked her way up the ranks from little TV station, to little TV station, kind of the old fashioned way. And eventually after covering every sport you can think of from football to baseball, to basketball, you name it, she got an opportunity to work at golf channel and full circle after all those years, here she is at the golf channel for seven years, getting to cover a sport she knows intimately and had played at the highest level, at least as a young adult. And she called it her dream job and that dream job lasted seven years. But while she was there, she spoke pretty loudly about some stuff going on at the higher levels that she didn't like. And that made her some powerful rivals as well. And I'll let the book do the talking for the rest, but, Basically, she felt she got let go under not the greatest of circumstances, and she paints a pretty clear picture of how people, but especially women and minorities who speak up on issues of intolerance and whatnot, are often railroaded as, quote, troublemakers instead of looked at as as, uh, freedom fighters or courageous people that are sticking up for themselves. And so that's how we got all the way full circle to where she's at now writing this book. And granted, she's still working in golf. She works for PGA tour live She's still a play call. She's not out the game, but um, you know, she definitely left golf channel feeling like she, she had more, uh, more, more to fix with all that than, uh, than when, she, when she left.
0: You mentioned her relationship with former president Clinton, Hillary Clinton wrote a foreword to the book. Talk
3: about getting Hillary to write that forward. Yeah. What a dream. We had early on talked about the potential of Bill writing the foreword for the book because he's the cousin. You know, Hillary's just cousin by marriage. But she'd always had a decent relationship with Hillary as well. But Bill actually helped give us feedback. He read a bunch of the early uh, edits and rough drafts and gave us notes. So I love to say that I actually had... Former President Clinton is one of the editors of this book, giving me notes, which is pretty <laughs> neat. But uh, he pretty early on said, "Look, I'm happy to give you notes, and I'm happy to, you know, pass this on to folks." But you know, I think it should be Hillary, and and we started realizing that she was a more logical choice for this book about women's issues. And we asked her early on. Didn't hear much for a while. Kind of crossed our fingers. Started wondering, probably going to be no, and then. What do you know? Right around uh, the beginning of this, or I'm sorry, the end of last year, right around the fall, she got in touch and said, I'll do it. And bless her heart. She wrote a great forward and really kind of put the official stamp on this thing, you know, from someone of of her stature that, that uh, she believes in in Lisa specifically, and then also Lisa's message. And uh, obviously, as I said before, lots of people got lots of opinions on Hillary or Trump or whoever that is that you don't like. We understand this, but I guarantee you this message goes far beyond Democrats or Clinton backers. And uh, I'm just grateful that Hillary kind of put it in those words as well, that this is everybody's issue, not just a Republican or Democrat one.
0: So now with the book being out and I'm, and I'm sure advanced copies have, have been out there long before today. Has Lisa started getting any backlash for having written this book?
3: You know, the main backlash is where you'd expect it, just on socials, you know, comment thread trolls and whatnot, Clinton haters and MAGA people and whatever. I mean, typical stuff. And it's all just typical stuff, too. I wouldn't even say any of it has been particularly vicious. It's all just your typical trolling. Uh, One tweet that came out today, quote, tweeted it saying, I've skimmed the book so you don't have to read it. And it's all a bunch of lies. You know, Lisa's just uh, doing some I love Lucy stuff and whatever. So, I mean, I guess that's kind of obnoxious. But to be honest, I think I had prepped her calling myself her battle coach the whole way for it to be a lot nastier than it's been so far. We haven't had any clap back from Golf Channel. We haven't had any clap back from the few folks she, she names by name in the book. And, and granted, she says in this book she loved 99% of the people she worked with at Golf Channel, including Damon Hacks. She just said that to me yesterday. So, she loved. Damon loves working with him. So you're right, Chris, Damon is universally beloved by all the folks there, but um, you know, there's just a couple main people that, that she took issue with and they haven't said anything, you know, so I'd say I'm kind of surprised how little uh, blowback we've gotten so far. Now granted (laughs) just dropped today. You never know, but uh, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, this it's, it's not that terrible. There's nothing in there that we write that I think is that controversial And so unless you were one of the ones called out, I don't think you could read this and say, wow, this is some hot takes. Uh, A lot of it doesn't even have to do with her own story or feminism or any of it. It has to do with workplace culture, which applies to men and women. And it has to do with HR culture and how it needs to be fixed. It has to do with stuff that really has nothing to do with uh, the women's rights issue at all. So I think anybody, and I know I have plenty of men friends that have worked in corporations that know these issues that she outlines in the book, um, I think they can all relate, so no, I haven't really felt like we've had any really terrible stuff yet, but uh, you know, batting down the hatches, you never know what's coming
0: Tucker, you mentioned the HR culture a moment ago. Talk about the role or lack thereof of HR at the Golf Channel and Comcast as the parent company because in an organization that large, you would think HR would be doing an investigation about what was going on. Why didn't they step in and help Lisa out?
3: Yeah, I I didn't even realize this when I got into this, but let me start by saying my wife has a master's degree in organizational development coaching, which includes leadership development. And she started out in HR at Mattel years ago out here in El Segundo. And she told me that she was the good side of HR, the, the teaching side the, the help, helping side for folks when they were having issues. But a lot of HR uh, is is not that. And I think a lot of employees stereotypically think of HR as the champion of the underdog of the the little people, if you will, at the company. And HR's job, by definition, is to do everything they can to protect the company at all costs. And as we did research on this, Chris, we found out that HR originated at the Ford Motor Company back in the early 1900s. The very first iteration of it was at Ford. And it was instilled in the company to sniff out potential unionization and strikers uh, who were trying to unionize. So they were spies for the the owner and and the management. And granted, I think they've become a little less than spies over the years, but still, they'll listen to you. They'll hear what you say. But this idea of them keeping it all private, not taking it back to the company, not kind of being more in cahoots with the the higher-ups than they are with the lower on the totem pole. That's just simply not true at most companies. And I think HR culture needs to be changed and adapted. And we, we uh, posit some ways we think that could happen, but uh, mostly as one of our chapter titles is named is beware HR because a lot of people think that they're an ally and oftentimes they're not.
0: Something else you alluded to a moment ago. This feels larger than just one isolated incident about somebody being discriminated against in the workplace. It feels larger than that. Is it more than that? Is it something from this book that we actually all can take away from?
3: Yeah. I mean, at, at its core, and she'd probably be too humble to say this, but I will. This is about Lisa's remarkable, courageous life. And I mean that long before she ever worked at golf channel. So again, it's not just about those years. This is a a woman who grew up uh, being gay in a community in Arkansas where that was not acceptable. She never came out publicly till this book came out today, folks. I mean, those who knew already knew, but she felt so guarded about it that she never came out. Actually, I guess she came out on Twitter a couple months ago, but this is this year in her 40, Sixth or seventh year on this planet that she came out. It's about having to deal with that internally, feeling like nobody uh, could understand this, including her own family. It's about battling eating disorder issues. It's about battling this expectation that her family and friends had that she was going to be the next Annika Sorenstam, and she had fallen out of love with the sport and and fallen out of love with herself, and having to get help and having to humble herself enough to get that help. And spending years trying to find her her sense of self-worth again it's about building herself back up after flushing it all away and and then getting all the way back to seemingly near the top of the mountain and then getting knocked back down again and saying to herself i'm mad but if i just throw a fit everybody's gonna say i'm another crazy woman so what am i gonna do and she built herself back up again and not only is she doing so well today in all the ways that doing professionally and in her personal life and so forth but this book is proof that she takes a long hard vulnerable look at herself all the things that she did wrong as well as right and and then also making a compelling case um, about the issues that we outlined and plus about you know kind of her her legacy and all this and I think the legacy is I'm definitely not perfect I've never pretended to be but uh, I also don't want to quietly abide stuff I don't think is right anywhere in the world, especially in companies or business. And I've always been someone who's been willing to speak up because that's how my family raised me. And I don't want to stop. And I think everyone should be um, more emboldened to do so, men, women, otherwise, whenever they see something that's not right. And you're even if you are rocking a boat, you're not a bad person or a troublemaker like they're going to want to call you. You're somebody that's trying to do the right thing. And that takes moral courage.
0: Tucker, before I let you go, what's up next for you?
3: Well, I'm excited to announce that even as this book comes out today, I've already been retained to start my next one on the strength of the word of mouth of Lisa's book. I got hired by another great lady and uh, we are already all underway during the, doing the interview process for the proposal for hers already been retained, already been paid to get going. So the next book is in the chamber and don't, I don't want to tell anybody any more than that yet, but already got the next one coming up. And I think I told you in, in interviews past, Chris, I spent the shutdown writing my own memoir that I was working on before Lisa got in touch with me. That is now finished, edited, ready to go. And I'm just sitting on it, kind of figuring out when I'm ready to start sending out my proposals for that. But I went from, working on mine to leases coming out to getting hired for the next so from zero to three over the course of the shutdown so just going to keep on working on these books i've got a, a film in development as well that i've been working on with some folks from orlando and from back in st louis my 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 buddy back there we're getting ready to try and sell this to uh some investors A uh, uh, film about little league and love of baseball and just continuing with all kinds of creative projects, working with some music producers out here in L.A., filmmaker friends that make music, uh, working on some new hip-hop and R&B stuff, and uh, whatever else, man. You know how it goes. I'm, I'm, I'm always doing something, but uh, plenty going on and uh, plenty to be excited about. No
0: doubt. That's awesome. Tucker, let our listeners know, how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, whether it's following you online or it's over social media?
3: Well, if you if you google Tucker Booth troublemaker book right now, I'm excited to say it's on every platform you could want to order it from folks. So please go pick up a copy of Lisa Cornwall and Tucker Booth's new book, Troublemaker. It's at Amazon, it's at Target, it's at Walmart, it's on Apple, it's Barnes and Noble, you name it, it's out there. So I'm very excited. And if you want to follow along with me, I'm mainly on Twitter at TuckerDale D A L E booth on twitter i am on facebook and instagram at tuckerdale booth as well not on them as much but if you want to hit me up there i check those occasionally and if you want to check out all the music there's so much to check out i'm on all of them spotify soundcloud Bandcamp, youtube lots of stuff to check out so please you know use the google machine find me and if all else fails you can always email me still got my same email i've had since i was 21 tuckerbooth at hotmail.com. Please send me any inquiries there. Happy to talk, to talk about doing stuff. You name it. Hit me up, tuckerbooth at hotmail.com.
0: Tucker, it's been great having you as part of the show again this week. I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your clearly busy schedule to come back and join me. And best of luck with this book, the next book, and your own book. And uh, I hope we get the privilege of catching up with you again soon, my friend.
3: Thanks, Chris. You know, I always love talking to you. Please come back on my pod too. And now I got to jump off and run my son to yet another little league practice. So (laughs) the grind never ends, man. I I'm, I'm (laughs) on my way back to being baseball dad right now. There you go. Good for you. Stay safe, my friend. All the best in your family. We'll
0: catch up soon. Much love, buddy. Peace. You bet. See you Tucker. That is Tucker Booth. And again, a great new book that's out there that's going to be available, and I can't I can't recommend it highly enough. It is about Lisa Cornwell, and again, it's called Troublemaker: A Memoir of Sexism, Retaliation, and the Fight They Didn't See Coming. Go out there, read that book, check it out, and look forward to more great content from Tucker. He's a tremendous talent, and as you can as you heard during the course of the interview, obviously a great writer and everything else that he's involved with with the entertainment industry, and just a great guy. Just a wonderful guy to, to, uh, to have as part of the show here and just to be friends with. Um, I, I, I owe a lot to him. He's, uh, he's been a great friend and supporter of this show over the years and very much excited for all the success that has come his way. Like I say, hopefully you get the privilege of catching up with him again very soon. Folks, before I close up shop tonight, you've heard me talk about some great products that I saw at the PGA Merchandise Show. And another one that stood out to me is On Point Golf game-changing, three-dimensional ball markers that science shows will help us see the line better when we're putting and therefore make more putts and lower our scores. See for yourself why Jim Furyk and I are big fans by going online to onpointgolf.us. All right, my friends, it is time for me to put a bow on this edition of Next on the Team. My sincere thanks go out again to Dr. Bob Jones IV, Damon Hack, and Tucker Booth for joining me this week. Scheduled to join me next week are our resident director of instruction, Tom Patrick, will be back. Another one of the top instructors in the game, Jim McLean, will also be back with us. The guy who bought Adele Golf a couple of months ago, David Coors, and yes, of that Coors family, will be joining me, and then we'll round things out with a return visit from Billy Mayfair. Folks, you can find the show available as a podcast just about anywhere you get your podcast content. In particular. We're out there on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audioboom, Player.fm, and Good Pods. And my continued thanks to the folks over at Good Pods for making Next on the T one of their recommended podcasts. Download their free app and stream your favorite podcast on your favorite device. And most of all, my continued thanks to all of you for being the greatest supporters in the history of podcasts. I appreciate you all so very much. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.
3: Support for Extra 1063 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. So, Robert, I want to thank you for your time. I just don't think you're the right person for this position. I don't understand.